If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Our focus in these weeks are verses 25 through 40. Today we will look at verse 28. Um, I'm going to ask the Lord to teach us at this time, and then I want to read um, the conclusion of chapter 7. Father, we come before your word now. We come with hearts, Lord, as grateful to our brother Paul. Father, we come with gratefulness that we see the struggles and the pain and the suffering of the saints in the first century as, Father, as we struggle and help one another with pain and suffering in this century. Father, let our hearts hear. Let us bow before what you are doing. Let us embrace you in this text. Father, may we just, Father, may we just fade away and you only become brighter in us. Father, teach us. Prepare our souls even now to teach us. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 25 to the end of the text. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if you are virgin remain if a virgin remains, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that they may be holy both in body and in spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how, he may, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth and if and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but 
has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Amazing text. Amazing text. Phenomenal text. But I need to give you an understanding of why and where we're at and what we're doing. This book, as controversial as many people like to uh, think that it is, has one key focus in it. Your personal holiness, my personal holiness, the church in Corinth's personal holiness. Why? The next letter he's going to write deals with ministry. If you do not have your personal holiness nailed down, don't worry about ministering. I mean, you can work your can off. But it will be to no effort. It will be of no reward. It will be of no, uh, probably will be of no pleasure. And the reason that that happens is we believe that now I'm saved, I am ready to minister. And I got to reiterate what my brother Wayne has said many, many times. Ministry is never achieved. It is received. Okay, if I'm not faithful with the single task that he's given me, why would I want to expand that? And yet I see many who think, well, you know, I've done this for a year or I've done this for two years or I should have done this. And by doing this, I should be ready for the big things. And yet their life is a life that lacks faithfulness and holiness. And that's what we're dealing with in this text, because he started out in verse one concerning the things which you wrote. So there were some things that were going on in the church in Corinth that is happening in the church in America today. And you know what? I can literally say that it's happening in this church, Castle Rock Baptist Church. We put a lot of emphasis on the union of marriage. Did you hear the word I used? The union of marriage. Not what it is, but that doing that thing. You know, the, the aisles and the, the bridesmaids and the flowers and the cake and the chickens. And, oh, you guys don't do chickens, do you? All right. It's, you guys are out west. You don't do chickens. Sorry. But uh, we, we, that's what our focus is. And I've seen one of those uh, bumper stickers that God says, you know, what part about do not, don't you get, uh, I don't know if you've seen them, billboards are put up and all the rest of it. And one that really hits me, and I think about this text, is nice wedding. How about inviting me to the marriage? Okay, because we want this wedding thing. Why? And I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with that. But we've got to understand, all right, what God is doing. I, I looked at this in the message previous to this, in 17 through 24, is that remain where you're at. Seek the will of God. And you know what? What do you do if the will of God isn't you to marry? Well, but I need to marry. Really? I'll deal with that today too. All right? The Lord acknowledges the strength of marriage. In the bond of marriage. And I will be honest with you, the norm is married. Absolutely. 
Okay, but for some people, this is so true, singleness is better. I heard one world-renowned Bible teacher say this, if you are single, you are incomplete. Uh, That's wrong. We've got to keep a foundation here of what we're looking at. I'm looking at this text has got what you would classify the classic do's and don'ts. Okay, and sometimes we get into our religious little systems and we've got the do's and we've got the don'ts. And we bounce back and forth and back and forth. And then sometimes we wear ourselves out bouncing back and forth. I'm going to take you to a text that I've taught at length and I want you to think about it again. It's in chapter 3. Okay, Paul surmises this church. Okay, verse 1. And I, brethren could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not able. Okay, now let me ask you a question. The Bible says it goes forth and accomplishes what it was sent for. Right? I don't have to worry about the effect. I have to worry about, am I true to what the scripture says? So what would keep a child of God from growing? I just gave it to you. Your flesh. Why would I allow my flesh to raise up? lack of self-control, lack of understanding who God is. And you know what 99.9% of the time it is? You have a great idea. I have a great idea. It's so great, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. Ask yourself a question. When you come up with a profound idea... How long did you labor seeking the face of God with your great idea? Listen, when Jesus went to get to the disciples, do you know what he did the night before? Prayed. You know how long? All night. Do you understand that he didn't need to do that? I mean, he knew before the foundations of the earth was laid and what the plan was, right? So why would he say... I prayed all night to go choose these men. I believe it's for our benefit. And yet, what do we do? We just run headlong into it and pray that God's with us. (laughs) Right? But do you know what he did after he taught the word? He prayed that the Spirit of God would touch the souls that he was graced with. What do you do? Listen, if you have not modeled the king in the decision-making process, guess what? Whose strength are you operating in? Whose strength? Look what he says. He goes down, he describes what it's like. Um, fleshly in in chapter 3. You're still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Apollos. (laughs) Who are not mere men? 
Why? I have my favorite teachers, and if you don't teach like my favorite teacher, I'm going somewhere else. That's fleshly. I planted a pile of water, and God causes a growth. So then neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Okay? But I want you to drop down to verse 11. Okay, no, it's verse 10. According to the grace of God which has been given me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Do you get that? Who's building in the body of Christ today? Don't say the teachers. Don't say the pastor, the elders, the deacons, or whatever. Who's teaching in the body of Christ? Every single one of you are. Right now, you are teaching. Okay? And sometimes you're graced with the privilege of actually using words. But your life cruises along and you say, this is my faith, this is my hope, this is my love. And everyone around you who comes in contact says, yep, I agree. Because it is seen. So I ask the question, what are you building with? The foundation is laid. If we're 2,000 years out from the apostles' writings and we ain't got the foundations done, uh, we have a bigger problem than no foundation. Uh, I'm thinking that the church is gone and we're playing. Okay? No man can lay a foundation other than one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? Look what else he says there. If any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. I wanted you guys to grab that again, because every single body who's in the body of Christ, every single soul that's in the body of Christ, is building. Is building. Please understand that. All right? And you know what? You're doing will be tested. It will be tested by fire. Okay, so when the refiner's fire comes down upon this thing, what does it look like after it's done? Well, he gives us some stuff here. He says, if you build with wood, wood, hay, or stubble, or straw, when the fire comes down upon it, what happens? Better have you a big old package of hot dogs. Because that is it. That's all you get. But if I take precious stone, if I take gold or silver, and I put it under fire, what happens? It becomes pure in gold and silver's part. So whatever you build with in the body of Christ, whether it be uh, you may be privileged to be a parent, and you have children... What do you children see? You may have uh, have a spouse and not have any children. What does your spouse see? You may be single and you have a a group of people that you kind of hang around with. What do they see? And ask yourself a question. My investment in the souls entrusted to me, am I building with wood, hay, stubble? Now listen, you got to understand something about wood, hay, stubble. You build with it. I don't want to downplay it. Okay? You can build with it. You can, I was in construction. It's a lot easier to build with wood. Okay? But when it comes to the eternal things, what do I build with? Okay? 
That is the book of First Thessalonians, Corinthians. First Corinthians. Why? What I am building with is directly related to my faith, my hope, and my love. Okay? And if I don't have a very big ministry, the question is this. What are you building with? I mean, if you're just kind of piling up little piles of hay and straw and stuff, and you said, well, I just don't understand why it ain't getting any bigger. Well, I can. You can't make a skyscraper out of hay. Can't do it. Okay? I mean, you can make some really cool stuff. But what happens when the heat is turned on? See, what I build with, okay, what I mean by I is is individual Christians, okay? What I build with is directly related. You can't separate it from your personal holiness, okay? They're running side by side. You can't have one without the other. You've got to understand it. You know, and I see people who are building these massive things, and yet some things have come out about their personal holiness, and I know that what they have built, when the fire comes, all you'll have left is a foundation. Because the foundation is who? Christ. All right, let's go back over to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is dealing with marriage, the issues of marriage. Okay, singleness, divorce, married... And that's what he's dealing with. And we're we're coming into this. And he says, I want you to understand something about marriage. It's good. Okay? But he's telling all saints, be careful when you come to making judgments on single people. We have a tendency in the body of Christ, even this day, that somebody's single, we need to find them somebody to marry. Okay? And I I find that humorous because it's sort of like, God can't find them anybody, and they're going to need my help. Okay? If... And yet, we've already looked at it in depth that there is a gift of singleness, a charisma of singleness. It is a spiritual gift that's powered by the person of the Holy Spirit. It has supernatural energy behind it, and the gift is singleness. Oh, this is so cool. He says, I want you, I got six things here, the reasons for remaining single. Last week, we looked at the pressures of society. Okay, some amazing words in here. Um, You will see there in verse 25, no, 26. In view of the present distress, the word present distress is violence. Okay, John's Gospels, chapter 15 and 16, the Lord lays this out for us, uh, and in 17. And basically, I can summarize it this way. The world hates you. Please understand what I'm saying. They're not tolerant of you. They don't think that you're a fool. They don't think that, you know, that's just the way they're doing it. They hate you. They hate you. Okay? And he says, now brothers and now sisters, uh, there is a war for souls. And you're involved in that war. And let me explain something. Your adversary doesn't like to lose and he's already lost. And the system in which you are in is violent about that. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I real, But realize this. Okay, now this letter is written in 67 AD. And he says, now realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. When's the last days? You're in them. You got up this morning, you're right smack in the middle of it. 
Okay? What will happen? Now, you know what is amazing about this text? I've taught this in the past. I'm not going to go through all the semantics about it, but I want you to understand something. He steps into verse 2, and I hear a lot of people trying to tell me that that's lost people. That is the stupidest statement that I've heard taught. And here's the reason that I say that. You don't have to tell a believer the condition of lost people. Well, you shouldn't. Okay, some lost people think, well, we won't go there. All right, but he's talking to Timothy on the basis of the church and what it will take to be a discipler and a disciplee. What will it take to make disciples? And he says, you need to understand something about the church. The church will literally come to a point where it will be, that men will be lovers of self. Okay, and then Spurgeon's wonderful quote on that is, the love of self is the sewer pipe that the rest of this stuff pours out of. Why? Because the lover of self loves money, he's boastful, he's arrogant, he's a reviler, he's disobedient to parents, he's ungrateful, he's unholy, he's unloving, he's irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous. Well, that sounds, you tell me that's the church? Yeah, absolutely. Let's read on. Um, Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is that the church? Now, here's the other reason that I believe that he's talking to the church. He's not talking about lost people. Look what it says there. Holding to a form of what? Godliness. Let me tell you something. Lost people don't hold to a form of godliness. They're not concerned about godliness. It's not on their top 14.5 billion things to do when I grow up. Okay, all they all, they hold to a form of it, and yet they deny the power. And it says, just avoid those people. Look what else he says. Now, I want you to see this. This letter is the last letter the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Okay, for among them are those who will enter the households and captivate. Now, I didn't write it. Okay, but here it is. Weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses. I ain't saying a thing. You guys want to do your own Greek word study on it? Knock yourselves out. I taught this book. I understand this book. I've seen this book. All right? Here's what happens. Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, let me ask you a question. Would the Bible put a lie in there? Then if we are living as Christ lived, what should be our common known factor? Persecuted. Well, I'm not persecuted. Ding, 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 ding. That should be an alarm. Perhaps no one can tell who your king is. Perhaps no one can tell that you are redeemed. Perhaps... You are identified as a man or a woman who is a lover of self. Because that is what the world is, is a lover of self. How do I overcome this? Well, it says that if I desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, it will be persecuted. I also need to understand verse 13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And ask yourself a question. Have evil men and imposters grown worse and worse? 
You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing that from whom you have learned them. Have you ever thought about that? Everybody in this building has somebody who has discipled them. Okay, everybody in this building is discipling somebody. In this building is very day, there are some of you who disciple me. You may not even know it. Okay, and yet I disciple others. All right, but then be careful. Have you looked at the life and who, who, have, who you have received that from? See, we have a tendency to what I want to believe and how I want to reconcile whatever decisions I believe I would like to make. I want to go find somebody who will line up with my decisions. Because he says all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Now I go back to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. What is I supposed to build with? Who are the people that I'm following? Who are the people that I'm allowing to sway me, convince me? And what do I do with the book? All right, verse 28, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. But if, you are, but if you married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Okay? If you are in the bonds of matrimony. Keyword, bonds. Okay, I'll let you guys search that one in your own dictionary. Okay? He wants to make it clear that there is no misunderstanding. It's still the design of God. Still the design of God to marry. That was the original plan. But yet he says, I have supernaturally empowered some for singleness. If you have, if you marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you that. That's what Paul's saying. Trouble. It literally is the word we get tribulation from. You will have tribulation in this. And he says, I would like to see you spared from it. The New American Standard translates this thing, trouble in this life. Um, it should be translated in this flesh. It's sarkikos, which is um, our flesh. It's, it's our lower humanity, as Greek scholars would tell us. It's, it's that thing that I kind of cruise around in. Okay? And he says, I want you to understand something. If you're married, you haven't sinned, but I'm trying to keep you from going through trouble. Okay? Because have you ever thought about marriage? I've got a man. I've got a woman. They look at each other and they go, oh, I love you. And I think God has brought us together. I've seen it. I bear witness to it. So they come together and they get married. What happens? That love just grows and flourishes and flowers and blossoms and everything, doesn't it? No. You put two blind, naked, depraved people together and you tell them to get along. It ain't going to happen. Why? You have tr anybody here married ever have trouble in your marriage? 
When you have trouble, whose flesh just stood up? Okay, then we get really brilliant. Okay, we get brilliant. We get, oh, I know how to make this marriage stronger. We'll have kids, more sinful beings in the house. And I have such great joy. No, Paul says tribulation. Why? You can be the most submitted person in the household, have your flesh completely oppressed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will be absolutely irrelevant. Your flesh is at war with the Spirit of the living God. Guess what? So is your spouse. Guess what? So is your kids. Guess what? You live in a household of war. Tribulation. And Paul says, I would spare you this. Put two together, what happens? Little sinners everywhere. <laughs> Listen, you know what? Every one of our children are depraved. The word depraved in the Greek means found useless for its intended purpose. <laughs> and you know what? And I don't care how cute and adorable they are. Them things are conceived in sin. And guess what? They will sin. So you add that to the mix and you have a house full of trouble. Okay, our lower nature, life, as it's translated in New American Standard, sarkikos, is a lower nature. It's your humanness. So when you bring the marriage together, you bring humanness in that marriage, and guess what it does? It makes trouble. You know what? I don't care how long you've been married. I don't care what a man or a woman of God you are. It is irrelevant. I know a couple right now that are amazing. They have been married for 69 years. Okay? And have been used massively, globally, and the planet for the things of God. And they will both look you in the eye and tell you, it's just trouble. He wants to do more. She wants him to do less. She wants to do more. He wants her to do less. And he said, it's so, so funny. I was talking to him. And I said, so how did you resolve it? He says, piece of cake. I surrendered. I gave the queen a day. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, Sunday is the king's day. Monday is the queen's day. And he said, as long as I give her my Monday... I'm okay. And I thought, huh, okay, cool. It ain't neither one of you very big, but I bet you could whoop each other. But, uh, you know, and what's, what I want us to understand, the Holy Spirit, even though the Holy Spirit wants perfect unity, um, your humanness, my humanness, creates problems. Why? It's always there. It's always there. You have the best marriage in the world and one of you gets sick. What happens? Humanist raises up and I want you out of my life right now. I'm dying and I want to be left alone. I want you to touch me and I want you to talk to me. Or I need you to touch me. I need you to talk to me. I need you to pamper me. Which one is it? Well, men, you'll learn that you can never really know for sure. There's no book on it. There's no, well, if this is happening, this is happening, this will happen. Nope, won't happen. 
because I think they do it just to change it, just to see if you can pay attention and keep up. The word trouble there that you see in verse 28, trouble in this humanness, is the word pressure that we get pressure from. And it literally means pressing together, just pushing it together. And it has an intensity on it because it's the same word that they use to crush grapes to make wine. Okay? Interesting thought about marriage, isn't it? Marriage is just like being in a vat of crushed grapes. (laughs) Sign me up. And the problem is she gets to do all the walking. Okay? Marriage is a pressure. Marriage presses us together. And guess what? When you put the pressure on, what happens to the humanness of you? It raises up its head and says, if you step on me one more time, I'm biting you on the leg. That's what your flesh does. Raises up. Gets up. So... Our humans, humanness, we bring to any home, any home. Do you understand that? Do you know that you can take God-fearing couple and you will find anger in that home? You will find selfishness in that home? You will find bumper crops full of stupidity. Now, I'm not talking about lost people. I want you to understand who I'm talking about. I'm talking about married believers. You will find forgetfulness in that home. Why? These are the characteristics of our flesh. You will find pride in that home. You know what? You will literally find dishonesty in that home. Okay? And it may be not a blatant lie, but it's what I call not all the information truth. Okay? And some of you guys are smiling and saying, I've done that. <laughs> okay? I'm just going to give you the picture, sort of. Okay? We would call it a rough sketch. And you know what? When pride raises its head in a home, we have what I call ego walls. Okay? I've seen it. Men and women. I'm right. She's right. We're right. We're going to be right. And I'm going to... You, I know I'm right. Why? Because my pride tells me I'm right. And the spouse will say, but it can't be because my pride's telling me I'm right. And what do you do? Put up a wall. You get mad. And guess, guess what? Communications ceases. Why? I'm right. I've also heard this. Okay? And this now listen, I'm giving you reasons to remain single. If you're married, stay there. But now you've got, you know why your marriage hits the proverbial bump in the road. Actually, uh, maybe road construction. Uh, but I, I want you to understand, I see people that say, if I get married, then my finances will be secured. I can have this or maybe not this. All these problems that I have will, you know, will be resolved and this will be really cool. You know what happens when you get married? Whatever your problem is, instantaneously gets magnified. I don't care what the problem is. Why? You just brought another person into the mix. And the problem that you had, your own little issue, just got huge. Okay. Then the tragedy is, is that in the magnification of your problems, now you got somebody else has to live with it. That's our humanness. 
That's our flesh. That's our life. Part of the problem of being married. Why? You know, I wrote this down. I put a question mark by it, which means, do I really want to say this? But I wrote it down. Yeah. Part of the problem about being married is, is that your humanness rises up. And you know what? Most of the miserable people that I run into, you know why they're miserable? I'll let you guess. Why? They're married. Why? She brought her problems. I brought my problems. We put them together. We put some pressure on them. What do we got? The bombing of Nagasaki. Instantaneous. You put them together, you put them in a vat, you got somebody walking around on them. You're married. Gee, many crickets, and I didn't know that, you know, he looked like that in the morning, or she looked like that in the morning, or he did that, or she did that, or all these other things. And, uh, you know, and I have my issues. The only thing worse than, here's what somebody said, this is a quote, I love this quote. The only thing worse than waiting is wishing that you had. That's quoted by John MacArthur. And I know when he made that statement that uh, Patricia wasn't in the audience. Okay. (laughs) Misery comes basically in a marriage at a much higher level than a single person. Do you hear what I said? Marriage comes at a much higher level than being single. Misery. Misery. I'm not talking about happy, joy, joy. Okay, and I'm thinking that's why we spend so much money for that wedding and the honeymoon thing. Why? <laughs> Downhill fast from there. Well, I can't spend the cash to stay at Hawaii or Cozumel or whatever you end up doing for your, for your honeymoon. You press against that other person and everything about you that's wrong keeps getting thrown back at you and you constantly having to adjust, 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 adjust. And it keeps raising its head and it keeps getting thrown back at you. Add this to the fact that the system hates you. You give, you have hardship, you have sacrifice. And you have two people who are basically human. And then we get in our brilliant understanding, we'll add children to it. Because I know children will strengthen the marriage. Really. I'm going to add more depravity. Let's be realistic. You put that much depravity under one roof. Things get complicated. If God has given you the gift of singleness, stay that way and avoid the trouble. That's what he says. Listen, please, if you don't get anything from this, you know, you you may be sitting there single today, but I don't think I've got the gift to be single. Well, are you seeking the face of God in your desires? Why? Because I guarantee you he he needs to prune you more. And you don't need to take some of this extra branches in with another person. Okay? Marriage is not a solution to problems. It is a magnification of the problem. Okay? Marriage never changes anything. It only intensifies everything that you are. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that. One of the things that I was taught long ago about looking at leadership in the church, one of the first things you should need to look at is the wife, if there's a wife. Because in the wife, you will see the spiritual leadership or lack of 
the husband. And if they can't take care of the wife, you don't want to throw the pressure that comes into a flock. Here's one that I'll give you as an illustration. We will say that if you are burning for lust, it is better to marry. Let me explain something to you about that text. If you have lust and you get married to fix the lust, it won't. Don't get me wrong. There's sexual fulfillment in marriage. Okay? But lust of sex is a sin problem. And marrying somebody, don't fix it. Okay? Um, That marriage has not dealt with the problem. There will just be as much illicit lust in the marriage as there was before you got married. Okay? I've heard people use this excuse. I am lonely. If I could have somebody... Let me explain to you. There are plenty of somebodies in the world. If you don't believe me, about 8 o'clock in the morning, drive on I-25. You'll see that there's somebodies everywhere. Okay? And I guarantee you at 8 o'clock in the morning, right there, there are T-Rex. You're not lonely. The rest of the state of Colorado is there with you. Okay? There are plenty of people there. And there are plenty of people for you to get to know. There are plenty of people for you to get to love. And you don't have to be lonely. But usually what happens with the lonely person is they get married and then they put up these walls in the marriage around themselves and now they're super lonely and they've drugged this other person into it and they're super lonely. But we're married. Marriage is not a solution to your problem. I'm going to make this statement... And I'm on duck. <laughs> Marriage is a solution to one thing for a Christian. Only one thing for a Christian. The need to be obedient to God's will. Anything short of that, yeah, you're in trouble. If God wants you married, then get married. And I guarantee you, if God wants you married, He will bring you the right person. It won't be one, well, I'm looking. Then God doesn't want you married. God doesn't have to look for your mate. God knows where your mate is. And what He has a funny way of doing is, look, two together. Okay? But I'll go online. Well, brilliant. So what happens before the internet? God can't figure it out? Uh, we, I'm telling you people, marriage will bring you trouble. It will magnify whatever problems you have. Not only that, now you have another person and you have to deal with their problems and their troubles. And then in your brilliance, you'll say, well, let's have kids. And then you got to start the whole mess over again. And you know what's amazing is no two kids are the same. So what you get worked out and I can do that with this kid, you will get the opposite with the next one. And you go, but I had, nope, you're learning again. And you're saying, I'm in trouble. And your God said, told you. And don't get me wrong, the I don't the majority marry, but I guarantee you the majority marry for a wrong reason. I marry because, and I don't, never mind, but <laughs> I'll have to do more and get behind the pulpit. Um, Whose car is that? (laughs) Are the keys in it? Um, We marry to be obedient to God. 
you're not, remember the six reasons? Are, do you really? Now, come on, you guys all smiling. First one is? Purity. Second one is? Partnership. Partnership. Pleasure. And something about God's will. Pleasure and a picture. Yeah, picture. Okay, six. You don't marry best out of six. You marry all six. Why? If I marry a person who can present to me the six, then guess what? It's God's will. <laughs> I shared with you last week that the pressure that is growing, the violence that is growing against the church, you, many of you in this church don't even realize it. You add that to the mix of my humanness in a relationship with another human, what do you have? Heartburn, acid reflux, ulcers, heart attacks, and a few other odds and ends. Why? It's the pressure of the world. It's the pressure of the family. It's the pressure of uh, your flesh. So if I've got find somebody who's got the six biblical reasons to marry. And God has brought them to cross my life, then it's clearly God's will. If you have the gift of singleness, you'll avoid an awful lot of special problems of the flesh that come with marriage, as well as the pressure of the system. What did he say? If you marry, you have not sinned. If you if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble, okay? Such will have a pressure in the flesh, and I am trying to spare you this. There's not a person in this room right now who's not been married. I don't care how long you've been married. <clears throat> Once the honeymoon is over, it's over, okay? And you can't tell me that you haven't had pressure in your marriage. I have. My wife will give you a hearty amen. She said that I'm the source of pressure. I am a pressure cooker. If I could find it in the Bible, I would have prayed that that is a spiritual gift. Because it seems like I'm supernatural with it. But I also have the pressure of the system. I also have the pressure of the system. These are dangerous times, brothers and sisters. God is, or not God, Satan is trying his best to destroy the marriages of the saints of God. Why? It brings shame to the Lord. And he's being very, very unrelenting, and he's being very successful at it. Put that into the mix, the humanness of who we are into the mix, the system that is in the mix, the supernatural war that is going on. Guess what? very difficult to be married not only that there is the passing of the world and this is amazing stuff i'll get that next week understand what i'm trying to show you what am i building with in my holiness what am i building with okay now that i am building in that holiness my marital status or lack of is not an issue god wants me married he'll marry it he doesn't want me married. I don't need to be seeking it. Why? I need to be striving for my own holiness. Why? So that I may minister 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many times we get distracted about what's going on on the planet instead of the ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ has given each and every one of us. We throw into the mix human relationships and distraction will abound. If you're single, rejoice and be thankful and grateful for the gift. If you're married, be grateful. Be grateful. Either way, seek His kingdom, His righteousness. And throw yourself on the altar of the living God and say, here I am, use me. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Lord, uh, uh, we also understand that uh, personal holiness is from you and you alone. Father, I lift these people, these precious souls to you, that Lord, that they may stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, that where they're at right now, they would be absolutely content. And that, Father, they would bow their knee to you with great love that you've poured in their hearts and they would say, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Let that be our hearts. Let that be our passion. And, Father, should you grant some of the singles to marry? And, Father, let them be sensitive to where you lead them and how you use it. But, Father, let them never waver to the left nor to the right on your kingdom and your righteousness and living sacrifices, holy and pure, as an act of worship. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.